It's hard to believe that it's been 24 years since I first walked into Joe Louis Arena. I was 21 years old, 4,000 miles from home, and I knew very little about the Red Wings. So little that I first asked to wear number nine. It's one of the great things about uh, hockey that if you make a mistake, there's there always someone there to point it out to you. In this case, the uh, equipment manager set the rookie straight. And I got my first lesson in Red Wings history. Welcome to Winging It Motown Radio. I'm your host, Kyle, tonight, and uh, we've got JJ and Graham. Got a small uh, small show today, not in terms of length, but in terms of girth. Uh, girth. <laughs> Damn it. Guys, how you doing? It's best day ever. Okay, as, as per usual. Graham, how you doing? Uh, I'm good. Uh, massive storm here yeah. happening, but uh, I'm not scared yet, so I'm fine. No. That's heading right towards us, I hear. Um, well, since nobody asked, I'm doing okay. Uh, pretty good. Long day, but uh, excited to be on the horn and talking some Red Wings hockey tonight. Um, got a lot to talk about. Probably way too much to talk about. Um, so we're going to try and uh, fit everything into our slot tonight. Uh, so we're just going to kick it off. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame. Uh, we had two members of the greatest NHL squad to ever grace the ice into the Hall of Fame this week. Um, Sergey Fedorov and Nicholas Lidstrom inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, they were both uh, wings for the 2001-2002 Cup. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously they won a lot more while they were here. Um, so, let's, I mean, let's just talk about that. JJ, you were, you were actually in Toronto um, for the, uh, you, you, were, you weren't at the ceremony, or like the actual induction, were you? No, the induction took place on Monday night, and we actually right. left Toronto on Monday. So we went for uh, the Hall of Fame game on Friday, and then we went to the Hall on Saturday to uh, to visit. Um, and then we were at the Hall of Fame Legends Classic on Sunday. And that's how a hell was, of a lot of fun. How was the Legends Classic? Yeah, it's it was uh, really fun. Like, basically, they it, it's so weird because they don't sell any upper bowl tickets to the ACC. It's all lower bowl, and still, even then, it was probably only... 70% full, um, so... Right. Because it's, it's literally just a, just an exhibition game. It's like they're they're trying less hard than the All-Star game, but you can still see, like, it's a lot of fun. They've got the... The ref is out there with a microphone, just, like, joking around with the crowd. They're constantly throwing shirts into the crowd. Um, there's a point Fedorov uh, scored two goals in that game. He was the first star of the game. There was a point where his team had a face-off in the neutral zone, and he was like, he was taking a selfie with a fan at the glass <laughs> when the shift started, and then he ended the shift by scoring a goal. I was like, that is uh, that's, that's awesome. That's peak Federoff for you. I loved it. So I would, yeah. uh, I would definitely recommend anybody go out and see that at any time because it is, it's always a blast. This is the second right. time we've gone, um, me and my sister, and it's been, yeah, it's just great every time. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's uh, it it sounds like a load of fun. I've been to the Hockey Hall of Fame, um, which is obviously great. Uh, there's so much to see there. It's almost like you could spend an entire day there, just kind of rummaging through all of this all of the stuff. Um, obviously, a lot of Red Wings stuff in there um, because uh, the Red Wings are great. Uh, but yeah, so 
I don't know. I guess we can just spend a little bit of time reminiscing um, on <laughs> Sergey Fedorov and Nick Lidstrom. Um, you know, obviously Nick Lidstrom. Uh, you know, everybody. You know, but Red Wings fans won't admit it. But you know, probably the best defenseman to play the game um, in terms of just two-way. Uh, just he's just the best. Um, and uh, you know, we were very fortunate and very spoiled to watch him play here um, and just be great for so many years. Um, and just really, um, you know, once Iserman had left, just kind of uh, take the torch and just uh, you know uh, keep the team great. Um, so I don't know, like what what is your favorite Nick Lidstrom memory? Like if if you could pick, I mean, obviously there's so many of them, but what is the greatest Nick Lidstrom memory you have? See, that's a hard one because it's not yeah. like it's not like Fedorov or really anybody else who had like a kind of a one defining moment. That's was just great forever. Although the one thing I'll point out is even in the early ni- early to mid nineties, he wasn't even really that noticeable. Uh, right. I mean, it was it was a long time before he really got seen as this dominant defenseman. I mean, hell, for a long time, people thought Konstantinov was better than Lidstrom. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, I say long time, a couple years. Um, God, one favorite moment. It's got to be the goal on Gucci, right? That's a good one. Mine, uh, I think, I mean, I just go with the, the easy one. It was the hat trick game. Um, it was just great. It was honest. It was just like the coolest thing to see. Because, um, you know, it's you know you don't see defensemen score hat tricks. <laughs> it's not something that happens. Um, and, uh, I mean, I could bring up every damn two-on-one he broke up and just say that that's my favorite memory because um he made that into like an art form the way he did that and uh he's just i don't know if there's a defenseman that will ever be able to do that what am i what another one that comes to mind i I actually had posted it on twitter when he um was one-on-one with uh patrick kane and patrick kane tried to do that little like stop and spin move and uh lidstrom just stayed with him the whole time lifted his stick and just popped the puck right out like made him look like a clown more of a clown than he already is and it that's just like seeing that it's just like you don't see defensemen do that nowadays you it's not because a defenseman usually just can't keep up like that and they don't have the senses to do that um but yeah, so many memories to choose from. I just go with the first one that comes to mind. JJ, do you have one? Um, yeah, it's kind of the... I, I'm going to go the easy route and say that, honestly, my, my number one favorite Lidstrom moment is when he became the first European captain to lift the cup. Yeah. Um, because that was kind of a culmination of almost my entire fandom at that point because I came in during <clears throat> the Russian Five era and not really understanding why hockey culture always had like such a general dislike for the European way of doing things. And so for Lidstrom, this unassuming guy to become the very first European captain uh, to lift it was just, it was just a, a little bit uh, extra special for me for, right, yeah, to he see was, that. He, he was he, absolutely a pioneer. He, he was, was yeah. uh, he was the first European trained player to win the Conn Smythe too, in 02. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so many. I still one of my favorite moments is it's actually it's the the goalie scored in game four against Philly in '97. That long blast oh, from the yeah. point that just went right under Hextall, and it, in that game, that was the game that they were they were really tight and nervous. You could kind of tell that they were you know they were a game away from clinching, and there was some uh, Philly was coming out. They came really hard on them, and, and uh, it was the first time that Detroit had really been on their heels. And then Lindstrom just let go of that 
slap shot from the point right under Hextall, and it was like, oh, yeah, they're going to win. Yeah, no problem. Awesome. So it's I mean, we could general, like warm security blanket that uh, that there was. Like, <laughs> yeah, you see, there's one defenseman back on a on a two man rush, and you see it's Lidstrom, and you just you just calm down. You're okay. Yeah, and warm. nowadays, mm-hmm. if you have it, you you know you're got you know you're feeling feeling diarrheal, yeah, and you just want to. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. You know, there's yeah. a guy coming up the the boards real fast, and you see he's about to dump the puck in. And there were so many times where he the guys would try to dump the puck in past Lidstrom, and he just knock it down and move it the other way. And you hardly ever yeah. see guys do that anymore. Right. And it's just, I, and every time I see it happen to the Red Wings, it's insanely frustrating. So just knowing that we had a guy that was just doing that to other teams all the time. Um, right. And yeah, I remember, like, I, like I said, we're very uh, spoiled <laughs> fan base having watched that. What were you saying, JJ? I remember prior to an All-Star game, and I want to say it was 2007, 2009 maybe, um, they were talking to David Backus about, you know, whether or not, because apparently Backus was going to be on Lidstrom's team in the All-Star game. I was like, are you going to, you know, now that you, you've got him, are you going to try to hit him out there? And he's like, well, I've been trying to hit him my entire career, and I just, you just can't. Um, he's, he's really, and that's why I think he's the best defenseman in the game. I think that, that Bobby Orr was a fantastic offensive defenseman, but mm-hmm. he, he was basically a defenseman who played offense. Um, Lidstrom game plan, I mean, Lidstrom was the Red Wings game plan for a lot of his career. It was just, right. screw, we're going to have him out there for 30 minutes. Uh, basically, yeah. nothing bad is going to happen to us for half the game. We're good to go. Yeah, and I feel like that was, that's kind of, it's still lingering. It's obvious. Um, they don't have that anymore, obviously. They don't have anything near it. They don't have a player that they can just say, well, we're just going to play him 30 minutes, and we know that he's going to give us the best chance to win. We don't have a defenseman that we can play for 30 minutes right now and say uh, and feel confident that he could be a complete game changer um, in both in both ends of the no. On both ends of the ice. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I've always laughed when people, that non-Red Wing fans have said, well, you know, the Red Wings have really struggled to replace Lidstrom since he retired. I'm like, no, Sherlock. I mean, <laughs> right, you can't yeah, replace you can't Lidstrom. Replace he was... He was he he wasn't even like once in a generation. He was a once in a lifetime type of player. Regardless of whether you think Orr is better or, or I, some people say Bork, um, the fact is when you talk about the greatest defenseman in the history of hockey, Lidstrom's name is mentioned every single time, every single person. So you don't you don't replace that. It was almost unfair to try and be the guy to come in after Lidstrom retired and take over that spot. Which is, I think, why Suter uh, wussed out and never came to Detroit because he knew he couldn't live up to it. So <laughs> that's what I tell, yeah. tell myself at night when I um, when I cry over it. But you know, ultimately, he was just he was without question the greatest defenseman I've ever seen play. I don't know that I will see another one as good as he was. Yeah, and even at forty, he was still better than ninety percent of the defensemen in the NHL. Oh, for sure. Like he, he could have played, yeah. he could have played another, he could have played another couple of years if he wanted to. He went out on his terms. Awesome. He was in the upper echelon of just defensemen, not even close. Um, so I mean, okay, we could talk about him. We could talk about Nick Lidstrom for for three hours. But um, let's move on to Sergei Fedorov. Uh, obviously, uh, one of the greatest uh, Russian players to ever play the game. Um, the greatest, I should say. Um, you know, it's just. Uh, prolific in so many ways. Um, not only just a ridiculous offensive threat, but a a masterful two way player um, who uh, <laughs> was even a utility player at one point in his career. Um, it just uh, I, and just right off the bat, my first 
most favorite memory of Sergei Fedorov was the hockey game that got me into Red Wings fandom. Uh, the most, the, the, I'm the most spoiled fan ever because the first game I ever watched was when he scored five goals. Um, and it just, that is a moment that I will never forget. Uh, that's a moment that I probably will never relive through another player. Um, and it was just uh, really special. And uh, just to see a guy dominate the game like that. Um, you know, obviously it was a different era in the NHL. You know, scoring was way easier than it is now. Um, and, uh, you know, but I, I, I will always remember that moment of Sergei Fedorov scoring five goals uh, against the Capitals. Uh, I believe it was the Capitals. Yes, yeah, it, was it was Capitals. Capitals. Yeah, it was Capitals. Yep, I do remember the Capitals. Um, and uh, it was just a great moment. And that's what made me fall in love with the Red Wings and with hockey as a whole so um what about you guys are there any moments that you remember with Fedorov um Mm. Fedorov's goal against Waugh in game seven after the uh Statue of Liberty game six (laughs) yes because that was like really the exclamation point on the death of Patrick Waugh as a scary opponent um Mm -hmm. like that that killed that, that ended a lot of demons uh right there yeah, that it's just that because it was such an easy shot. I mean, it really shouldn't have gone in. It just went under, and it was yeah. You just knew my. Oh, I don't know. If there's it's hard to pick one. I, I probably I, it's another goal on Wa, but it was the second goal uh, in Game Six in '97 in the Conference Finals, where he just kind of came up. Um, I think it was Kozlov found him with the pass. He took the one shot. Wa saved it, and he put the rebound in. That was I think with maybe 10 minutes or so left in the third period and it put them up to nothing. And it was in that moment that it was like, they're, Oh my God, they're going to go to the finals. But it was just, but he was just, it was so quick and fast and it was just, and then I don't know, just the way he celebrated after, like he just, you just knew that that. And um, I think it was 97 when they won and he, t- you know, everybody picks up the cup and they just kind of amble around with it a little bit. And he picks it up and just goes full tilt down the ice, like as fast as he can go. And it's like, Oh my God, he's going to fall and, <laughs> break the cup on, on national TV, but no, he won't. It's Sergey Fedorov. He's got amazing hands. He's not going to do anything wrong. Yeah. There's, it's a, it's a, he's another player that, you know, there's so many, uh, moments you could recall. Um, it, like he was, I don't know if I could dish on Fedorov as long as I could for Lidstrom. Um, just because, you know, I grew up more with Lidstrom than I did with Fedorov, obviously. Well, um, let me ask a question now. Does the does him getting in the Hall of Fame and the and the, the the interviews that he gave where he talked about all the his his best moments were in Detroit and he actually talked a little bit about having some regrets about leaving Detroit and everything. Does that change the opinion of him amongst the fan base in general in terms of number retirement? Because that's really where I think I have I've always been a little on the fence. I think I've switched over to put ninety one in the rafters because he was that good. I think most of the fan base has, has come around. I think that it's in previous years it would have been fifty fifty, but I think that him playing in the uh, um, the veterans game for the mm-hmm. yeah the alumni game before the Winter Classic, I think and everybody in Tiger Stadium is just cheering for him as loud as they can. I think that was kind of the turning point, and this was kind of the the like one of the last steps towards the the full reconciliation with how much he talked about kind of regretting the way things went with Detroit. Um, honestly, I'm still against it, but it's not. I'm not against it to the point where if they do decide to do it, I'm going to think it's this awful, terrible thing that's yeah. cheapening the whole thing. I don't want it to happen because of um, kind of where I'm at with it. But 
I'm not going to complain if it does. At, at right. This point. I would. I don't think. Going to be. Yeah, I don't think I would. You know, obviously, I think it would be great. Um, but at the same time, I'm not like screaming it from the top of the mountains anymore. Um, I used to be really adamant on retiring his number, but now it's more of just a, eh, you know, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, maybe so you've actually I, cooled down on it. I have cooled down on it. I'm not like crazy about it because I honestly think about it. I think it would be cool as hell to have that number around for some young phenom to take one day. I honestly think that would be great. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where I stand with it. But I have certainly cooled down on it. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I, I obviously I wouldn't like be mad if they did it. But I, uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't, you know, I'm not. Like you know, like some people who are just constant over it. Um, obviously, he deserves it, but he, uh, um, I don't know. You know, with players like Lidstrom and uh, Iserman, I mean, those are no brainers. You know, they spent their entire career here. Um, they were integral parts of a dominant franchise in the NHL. Um, one of the best, even one of the most dominant franchises in sports history. Um, over that that twenty year span, so um, you know it is what it is. But you know we're not going to sit here and debate whether they should um, retire ninety one or not, because obviously that's a very slippery slope. Um, but uh, you know, I guess to kind of close everything out, um, we can kind of just reminisce on that two thousand one two thousand two Stanley Cup winning team and um, just what an absolute treat it was to watch that team like the players that were on it um this it was unreal um so i don't know i i feel like uh you know what's what needs to be said has been said you know they're great they deserve it and um you know who who do we think is going to be the next red wing to be inducted into the hall of fame that's a good question to uh to to close this topic out with who do you think in your honest opinion will be the next one probably datsuk I mean, I, it, it, the caveat would be if they have a couple of slow years and Oscar gets in, depending on – because, of course, that's yeah. when, he, when he retires, he's going to have the waiting period. So right. there's going to be a gap there because he's still got a couple years, and then I think it's three years before you can get in. And there's I, – I think – I believe that Chris Oscar is going to get into the Hall of Fame. I'm still not sure I like the idea of Chris Oscar getting in the Hall of Fame, but he's got the numbers to do it. And I just have this feeling that at some point – there's going to be a slow year and they're going to and there won't be like the kind of the backlog of guys that have been waiting to get in and then they're just going to be like yeah let's put us get in fine whatever so yeah, you like think next it would year be is supposed to be one of those kind of backlog years but i don't think Osgood's mm-hmm. going to get in that soon no yeah, yeah it I could think- be Osgood. It, it could be datsuk um datsuk is probably going to retire before zetterberg does so those are like really the the options we're looking at as far as the guys that are likely to uh, to make it um, really can't see anybody else kind of on the horizon. Yeah, I think. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> well, that's yeah, I mean, you know, like twenty five years, probably Larkin will still be podcasting, but yes, yeah. we will all be old and um, we'll have to take more bathroom breaks. But we, I think, yeah, Larkin. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm this. I'm on the same boat. I think Osgood maybe will will squeak in there. He was the first player that I ever owned. Like the first jersey I ever owned was a Osgood jersey. I uh, still have it. Um, but um, I think if I had to have any pick, it'd be Datsuk. I think he's a, a easy easy choice. Uh, speaking of Pavel Datsuk, 
Um, obviously, we uh, we haven't seen much of him lately. Uh, you know, he's been on the mend um, with, uh, from the uh, off-season surgery that he had. Um, but it looks like his return is set, and we might be seeing him uh, on Friday against San Jose. Um, I mean, yeah, he's you know he's on the wrong side of his thirties, but it's Pavel Datsu. Um, I have a feeling that him and his robo legs will be. Uh, Will 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 make an immediate impact. Um, you know, obviously, there he's going to be put on the top line. I don't know if he, he we're going to see him down the middle um, off the bat, but uh, yeah, we have a we have. It sounds like we're going to we we very well might be seeing him on Friday. Um, so with that, there's obviously going to have to be a, a roster move, um, and then uh, you know the first name on the block would be uh, the the new guy Andreas Athanasiu. Um, who uh, you know just had some late game heroics against Washington uh, with his crazy uh, goal from right behind the net, pretty much. Um, I mean, do we want him sent down? I mean, he's been impactful in the two games he's been here. His speed, um, his his flashiness. I mean, that's something that you know he looks like he's you know he's ready for the NHL. Uh, do we feel like sending him down to add that to? Would that be addition by subtraction, or would I mean, how how do we feel about that move? And if there are any moves that we could make that could keep Double A here with with that two coming back, uh, what would be made? Uh, they could put Ferraro on injured reserve if they think he's going to miss at least a week. That's true. I mean, what about Quincy? I mean, Quincy just went. You know, he's going to be down. He's so, already on IR. Was he? Already yeah, on? he was on okay. IR. Okay. Yep. So there. <sighs> There's, there was, I saw one tweet today, and it was from a guy who actually writes for, let me find it here. Um, he writes for Canadian Press and Vice Sports, uh, and he did tweet that Ferraro has been placed on injured reserve. There has not been any confirmation of that as of right now, which is okay. Wednesday night. So um, maybe that's going to be the the first choice because he's already missing time right so you might as well i mean if he has to use yeah. what seven days i think it yeah, is he was, yep there are four games in days he was hurt so, on friday so so i mean if he if he's going to be out tomorrow and they know he's not going to be ready for the weekend you could easily put him on short-term injured reserve retro like to last week and that gives you the flexibility that when he's back you can pull him off and um you know have him ready to go and then make another decision from there but I think short term, that's probably it because you hear the way Blashill talked about uh, Athanasiu last night. I mean, he; those were not the the statements made about a kid who's just like, hey, great, we're happy he's up here, but he's getting going back right away. I mean, it, it the way he talked, it made it sound like that you know he might be making it a little bit difficult for the for the coaching staff and, and management to send him down once they start to get a little bit healthy, which is good. I I would prefer to see him in the lineup. Yeah, and I just think about it is that Double uh, A, you know, he's been an impact on that third line, um, and you know he's been playing with Timu Polkinen and Joachim Anderson, which is you know obviously Joachim Anderson's a bit of a questionable winger for the third line for the uh, for 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 Double A. Um, you know, obviously that would be much more, uh, you know, I would much rather see Thomas York go there, but you know, whatever. Um, I think his time will come hopefully, maybe, um, but I'm about to, uh, to tweet this out. I'm on the Red Wings website right now looking at the roster and, uh, Landon Ferraro has the double asterisks next to uh-oh. his name that indicates injured reserve. Okay. And mm-hmm. Datsuk does not. Alrighty. So, so you heard it here so. first folks. 
breaking, <laughs> Except breaking you probably news. didn't because you read the tweet and <laughs> right. probably saw well, some stories come out before this it. got released. But damn it, JJ. I know. I yeah. know. Anyways, Whatever. um, okay. So it sounds like Double A is here to stay. Uh, Ferraro is going to go to injured reserve, uh, and we are going to get our our Datsuk back. So this team looks pretty good. Um, I, I mean, I mean it, it, you think about it. Um, they have been not so good so far this season, but it seems like they're starting to get it now. It seems like things are starting to fall a little bit more into place. Um, the last couple of games, you know, they start off a little rocky, but in the final 40 minutes, I feel like the closing two periods, they really turn it on and they really, they look like a complete team. I mean, you look at the Stars game where we lost 4-1, to one, um, and you look at the score and it's like, wow, that what the hell's wrong with them? It's you know, that game was not a four to one win. It was a two to one win. Um, mm-hmm. you know, with two empty net goals. Um, and I think that the Red Wings gave the stars, you know, one of the best teams in the league right now, uh, you know, a run for their money. Um, but you know, whatever. Uh going back to what we what we have now with the with the core of players that we have bringing Datsuk back, um, I mean, that's 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 a pretty good lineup if you make a couple adjustments. Obviously, the fourth line's not going to change, um, but you know, maybe a little adjustment on the third line. You see, uh, maybe Yurko get a, get a couple of reps, um, and this team takes a, a different a different um, a different look. I think. What do you guys What do you guys think? Uh, I mean, it won't matter if that third line's only playing nine minutes a night. So, <laughs> right. Um, I. This is I, I I'm gonna kind of move off somewhat topic a little bit, but and are we really calling the lines the right lines? Because if we're going by time on ice, then the Glendening line is our first line, and then you've got Zetterberg as our second line, and then you've got Shane Tatar Nyquist. They're a third line, like our checking line, because you know they just they're out there just to kind of prevent the other team from scoring, and then our fourth line. So our fourth line is actually really awesome. The problem is our first line is just terrible. So right. Um, uh, they're, they're playing better. I mean, you look at this stretch that they're in. They 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 beat Ottawa, and that, that game was score effects. They got up the huge lead and then gave up a couple late ones. Who cares? But then since then, they've played. They beat Tampa. They played a close game against Dallas. The two empty netters made the score look worse. And then they played. A, they had a really strong game against Washington. So those are those are three quality opponents that they've played well against and come away with two wins out of those three games and then they beat Toronto who cares so the point is in the last five games everything that that they weren't doing in the first month of the season they're starting to do they're starting to do better they're possessing puck better they're getting more shots at the net they're not still not taking as many shots on net but you know the more you take them at the net the the more eventually they'll start to go on net um they are cutting down on the number of shots and attempts against. I saw a lot of people were talking about the shots on goal last night, but, I mean, that got skewed by the power play, especially that late one where Washington was in full panic press mode and were basically throwing everything at, at the net to try and score you know, an ugly goal and tie the game. But at even strength, the shots were only 26-24 for Washington, and Detroit actually out-attempted them by, um, by nine. So that's a good performance. Um, the process is falling into place, and the results will follow that. Datsu coming back is only going to make the team better. They're going to now, right? I, I don't want to say solidify the top line because that top line's been their best by far over the course of the season, but um, maybe there's a little bit of a trickle down effect depending on how they line everybody up. 
um, where the other lines will kind of get a little bit of um, a, a boost. I, it's I, it's I, I'm a lot happier where they are right now than I was two weeks ago. Oh, for sure. And if you think about it, um, if they bring Datsuk back, we're we're assuming that Datsuk's just going to go right into the first line. I mean, what if we saw Datsuk go into the second line um, as a, you know, since we talk about usage so much, that that second line is essentially our third line. Um, What if Datsuk is placed into the center position on that second line and then you move Riley Shan to the wing on the third line with Athanasiu and Polkanen? Uh, and you know, like like Blashell had said, he was going to give him. You know, he would get looks at the wing for Shan. Um, that's something that I wouldn't be opposed to because I think that 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 second line has been very lackluster uh, in terms of production. So I mean, if you move, if you actually make that move, you could ease Datsuk in. You know, he's not playing a ton of minutes. He's not playing those top line minutes, which obviously you know they're they're not really top line minutes on the first line because Luke Glendening soaks everything up. For whatever reason, but who knows how long that will last? Um, I mean, would would that be something that you would be opposed to, or would you rather see uh, Justin Ablocator move down to the to that third line wing, and then um, uh, see Datsuk just move down to the first line wing with Larkin and Zetterberg, and just you know basically raise hell? Man, Datsuk, Larkin, Zetterberg is like it. It sounds like a dream. I just can't imagine that other teams are are going to let us do that. Um, right. I just, I just feel that they would run as much as they can. They would basically use their own versions of Luke Lindetting to just kind of kill that as much as they could. And obviously, I was, honestly, they'd probably get eaten alive for it. I think right now the Red Wings are playing as a, a deep team, even with the questionable sacrificial lamb line usage, which they've been using for like the last five games, which have been a good five games for the Red Wings. Um, basically, you bring Datsuk back in, I think you have to bump Anderson out because he's kind of like the weird guy that doesn't fit in that plan. Like the fourth line, I'm sorry, the first line, the Glenn Denning line. Because <laughs> Graham's right, they're not the fourth line. We call them that. It's basically a nickname for the Red Wings' first, second, or third. We can call them the, they're being used like a grind line, but it feels insulting to call them that. Um, insulting to Draper, not insulting to, to Glenn Denning. Like, there's a there's a reason for that. There's a rhyme to that. Um, but Anderson is like a player that belongs on that line, not a guy who belongs with Athanasiu and Polkanen, because he's not really a piano mover. He doesn't have finish. He's just he's out of place there. So you you bump him out of the lineup. You replace him. Honestly, Advocator would make a good replacement for Anderson on that line. Um, Shane would make a good replacement. Basically, you're bumping somebody way better than Anderson into that spot, and you've got three lines there that should be able to handle uh, really good competition, and if they're going to continue to be used against competition that's essentially one line below their skill level, they should uh, they should run Rudy Poo all over, the, all over their competition. Um, yeah, I get... I look at it as one of two ways. I think, like you say, Larkin, Zetterberg, and Datsuk would be just, I mean, that would be hockey porn to watch those three guys just go out there and just decimate, possession-wise, any line they went up against, because it would be amazing. I guess the concern I have is, if you're trying to build a balanced lineup, um, I think moving Abdulkader off the Zetterberg line and putting him somewhere else, rather than having Datsuk anywhere else in the lineup creates less balance because you're still you kind of go more top heavy with that 
top line. I think because you at that point take your three best offensive players, you put them on one line, whereas you have an opportunity. That top line is playing extremely well right now. Abdulkader's not producing right now, but it's not because he's not playing well. He has played a good game against Washington. I think that uh, that line just seems to kind of work. It has been their most consistent throughout the season. It's been the one line that really has stayed together for most part all year, minus when they moved Larkin down to the second line to to give him his own his own wingers. But I, I think I'd want to see Datsuk move down. Honestly, I, I think I'd want to see Datsuk, Tatar, and Helm reunited. That line was really effective last year. Tatar's, yeah. not, Tatar's not going right now really at all. I found him to be a little invisible um, over the last couple of games. Um, I don't know if it's just playing with Shane and Nyquist. I, I said it before. I don't like Tatar and Nyquist together. I just don't think they work together. Um, Nyquist has been, has been pretty good when he's actually on the ice. So I say you know, reunite that line from last year. See if they still have some of that chemistry. Plus, it also gives that line the center to go with Datsuk, so you can kind of play Datsuk on the wing a little bit. Helm can center. Um, I do agree. Bump Anderson out of the lineup because he's he he doesn't fit anywhere. I would say if you're if when he comes back, if you have the opportunity to do so, I wouldn't mind seeing Ferraro with uh, Athanasiu and Polkinen. I think he's got the speed and the kind of slight piano moving tendencies that the Red Wings like to have on that on those lines to um to be effective with those two. And then your checking line is it's it's what it is. It's just it's I mean, not gonna you, go away. If you take Helm off of that line with Glendenning, who do you put there? Yeah, you can't put Nyquist there. No, I don't know. It, it's it's just that's why I said I think because I honestly think that Helm is doing a good job on that line. Um I think he is a big reason for the fact that they have been able to enter the zone and get it out of their zone uh, better than they have. I think that he's a fit there for the time being. Um, so that's why, like, the first thing I say is, like, who is to think that Nyquist and Tatar wouldn't... I mean, Nyquist, Tatar, and Datsuk as their center, that's pretty damn good. Like, I would be very excited over that to at least watch it and give it a shot um and then have shan um go to that that third line wing role or i mean hell even put athanasiu on the wing and put shan i'd rather have athanasiu down the middle because he's so fast but um i just i mean i would really like that but i mean any way you look at it the red wings are going to have um a good problem on their hands it seems yeah it'd be interesting to see what the uh lines look like tomorrow in 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 practice um i mean if if the if the announcement comes out that that frodo has been put onto injured reserve and Datsuk is off i mean obviously he's going to play you're not taking him off to not play doesn't make any sense to do that um it's really really interesting to see how they how they line up in practice to kind of get an idea of what they're they're planning to do because so far Datsuk had been playing with zetterberg and lark when he's been skating in practices I don't remember what the other lines have been. I don't know if they just shifted Abdulkader down and took Anderson out or how that worked. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's there's so many different options that they have, and it, it still seems like they could just they could do better. They make better choices with what, they're, with what they have. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. Um, they're falling into a very good situation to have. Um, and uh, I think that FNSU is a guy that they should really uh, plan around uh, right now. Um, and then obviously you throw Datsuk into the mix. You can put him on the second line. You can put him on the first line. He's going to make everybody better, and things are going to be life is going to be good. Um, it might take him a couple of games. He might look a little sloppy Joe at first, but we know that it's Datsuk and that it will come along. 
Um, I mean, are there any other thoughts? I mean, if you think about it now, the Red Wings have won the out of their last five games that have won four games. Um, some of them not nearly as pretty. Uh, you know, the the win in Toronto. Um, you know, kind of a kind of a rough game uh, in terms of possession. But I mean, since you know, the, you know, they've won four out of five. You can't complain about that. But I feel like there's still a sense of uh, concern with with among fans. Um, I mean, what do, what do we? Uh, I mean, how good have they been? Like, have they been good? I mean, are we looking at flash in the pan? Um, or I mean, what 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 do you guys think? We should talk a little bit about that. No, I think that they've been good, and honestly, I think that the concerns right now are about how they're not generating enough offense, which is right. absolutely valid. Um, honestly, I think they've been a little unnaturally unlucky in the last few games as far as I agree. shooting or, or missing, or that's not the level of, of talent that the Red Wings have around the net. And so they've won four of the five games, and outside of that five-goal explosion against uh, Ottawa, it's been like a real slog trying to get it. And I know that it does not help having a possession black hole out there for basically a third of the game, you know, 18 minutes for, for Glenn Denning, who is not out there to create offense is taking away offensive opportunities. And it's part of the reason why they are not generating as many shots, but I think that they've been decent about doing that. They just have been getting unlucky with shooting. I think that the process right now is good. I think it could be better. I think that you could get better, uh, players in that shutdown role. Um, but it's it's comforting to me to know that they've that basically the concern right now isn't does the system work it's when are they going to start hitting the net a little bit better and yeah cuz it seems yeah it seems like a lot of their shots like they'll they'll generate these great chances and it will just hit a defender right in the shin or it will sail over the crossbar and uh it's <laughs> it's angering to watch for me cuz it's just like you know they'll generate great high danger shots and it will just get blocked and it's just like that is bad luck. I don't care what anybody says. That team is they are running into bad luck. Or it'll get swept out of the net without the refs seeing it. Yeah, well that too. I mean, god damn it. <laughs> Screw Braden Holtby. Is... Fuck that guy. Um so I mean, what? It, I what else? I mean, I I I tend to agree. I think the process is working. Um I think for a team that is playing a possession black hole as much as they are, I think they're doing all right. Um, and I think that fans are starting to get it. Like they're starting to like mm-hmm. question, why is this line being played so much? It's not good. You know. Well, I mean, from from a just a pure possession standpoint, in their last ten games, they've been over fifty percent at even strength in five of them. Um, and of those games. They lost three of them. Uh, excuse me, they lost four of them. They lost to Dallas, uh, the first Ottawa game, Carolina, and Edmonton. And in all those, they were actually a couple of percentage points north of 50. Um, really, the only two games in the last 10 where we've where that those concerns about the possession being so lopsided that we saw at the beginning of the year um, were both games they won. The Vancouver game, where they had the crazy comeback, which the fact that they were out shot attempted that game despite trailing for a chunk of it would have been concerning to me two weeks ago less concerning now and toronto which they led for a good chunk of that game as well so they're doing the right thing the fact is too their goaltending has been absolute lights out and has allowed them to kind of tread water a little bit while they're kind of getting through all of these 
growing pains, adjusting to the new system, whatever it is, um, their goaltending has been phenomenal and has uh, just really, I mean, there's been a couple of games that got stolen. Um, there's, you look at Mrazek last night, he wasn't spectacular last night. Um, I thought you know, he was. He was he was great. He was good, but he wasn't. I never. And ever, he made thirty eight saves to get the shutout and get the win. I don't feel like he stole the game from Washington. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. It wasn't like where they relied on Mrazek to just. They got one goal and just like, okay, Peter, you know, just don't let any in. Um, it didn't feel like that so yesterday. Like the closing ten minutes of the game, right? Which you would expect. I mean, you know, that's Washington's a very talented team. They're going to pour it on. I mean, Ovechkin's awesome. He's the best goal scorer in hockey. He's going to, you know, he's going to get lots of shots because they basically basically played against nobody for most of the game. So um, they're they're doing the right things though over the course of it. The thing too is um, the the shots will eventually start to go in for them. Right. I mean, shooting percentage-wise, they're, for the most part, again, looking back over 10 games, what's league average? I think eight? Nine. Uh, eight, nine, somewhere is there. They've had two games above eight for shooting percentage in the last 10. And one of them was the Ottawa game, the um, five-goal game. And again, that's at even strength. So that should correct itself a little bit, too, because the save percentages for the goalies are going to come down. I mean, they're not going to rock right. the 30s all, all year. And it's you know, just this kind of brings up another uh, another point that you know we don't have to dish on it for very long. But I mean, the NHL kind of it's it sucks right now. There's like two good teams. I think it's the Stars and the Habs. Like there are two teams who are killing. Like or, you know everybody else. I mean, the Capitals they're doing pretty well. But I mean, is there any other team out there who is? I mean, it just seems like every team is going through these weird phases of just crappy hockey um and, and it's funny because the red wings draw so much attention like oh yeah babcock left and now they're you know now they're they're bad it's just like dude everybody is playing really crappy hockey right now i don't you know i just think the nhl is i don't know how to explain it but it's not good it's i don't know do you guys agree with me on that yeah, it's uh, really weird, although I think it's it more of a return. I, I say weird, and then I'm going to say it's a return to normal, but that's that's kind of true. Um, last year, with the huge tank race that essentially started really early in the season, uh, a lot of other teams got their, uh, their numbers kind of inflated, where it, it took, like, what, 98 points to get into the postseason in the East? Right. Um, where it's supposed to be closer to 95 and that's kind of what it's looking like right now is that um it's just there's there's less tanking like toronto is currently the worst team in the league but we kind of knew that was going to happen um everybody else is is kind of trying to to win games to varying degrees of success but it's you know the parody hockey league any night um you know obviously the best teams playing the worst teams if the best team is having an on night they're going to win but it used to be the best teams could have an off night and still take on, still take out one of the worst teams in the league on their best nights. That's not the way hockey works anymore. So um, I think it's going to be like this for for a while, and it's just it, it's one of those. It's always going to be important to win the games you have to win. So right, I I uh, I, I agree, um, but I think that the Red Wings are starting to trend in the right way. I think we all can agree on that. Um, so, um, it looks like <laughs> the growling stuns. Yeah, we're all, we're all, here. we're all. I'm sorry. Yeah, we just 
kind of got hit with a bad thing. We need the um, ESPN music right here. Like, yeah, we need yeah, breaking. All right, Justin Abdelkader is on the verge of finalizing a seven-year contract extension with Detroit. AAV expected to be four plus million. Holy shit! Seven years. Good God, I'm gonna. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Go down to live reaction. Uh, seven year, th- I, th- you know. Okay, so this is the exact tweet. Justin Abdicator on verge of finalizing seven year contract extension with Detroit. AAV is expected to be four million plus. Now, what the hell does that mean? That could be like four point zero five million, or that could be four point seven five million. Um, I think. I don't. I if it's seven years, I don't like that term. For a guy who really has produced at a second or top line level one time, um, I think he'll be 30, 35, 36 when that runs out. That the back end of that deal could look very, very bad. Abdicator will be twenty nine in February, so he'd be thirty six when that deal ends. Yeah, as I, a <sighs> physical type player, how many physical type players are any good at age thirty six? It's just. I was concerned it was going to be five years. I didn't think it was going to be seven years. And this is, I, I already, you I can already know what it is. It's, he's, he's giving years to bring the, the cap hit down. Not in a convention way, obviously, because that's illegal now. Yeah. But he's going to spread it out. He's going to spread it out so that the cap hit comes down. But the problem is they still have a ton of guys signed through 2020, 2021, 2022. I, I just I, I don't understand why you're tying up that much term into a guy that I mean w- we just talked about dropping him down to the third line to, when Dasu comes back. I mean, is that is that a smart move to to do that? No. Yeah, I I don't know. I can't wrap my head around it. That it's I love Justin Abdicator. I love the story of the kid who grew up to be a Red Wings fan to go play for the Red Wings and to to be kind of a a folk hero. But that is the kind of business move you need to be able to be a little cruel on um, in regards to to what you're going to do. I know a lot of people are like, well, they should have sold high on him when they could. Um, I guess I can't. I don't really disagree with that. Although I can understand the concept of not trading him, but like we're, we go from okay, I can understand not trading him to seven years for a twenty-nine-year-old who has one year of scoring more than twenty goals is just—it's like the Brian Bickle contract that I just—I don't understand how it can work. It—it's a super game. It's not automatically a disaster because obviously you have to see how those seven years play out. But the chances of it not being a disaster seem extremely low. Yeah, this. Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think about it right now. Um, if you essentially have Abdelkader, I mean, for you know, four million for seven years. That's you know, it's a twenty-eight million dollar contract. Um, but it, the thing that you know, Uncle Bob, you know, Bob McKenzie is saying it could be more than that. That's gut wrenching to me because now I'm expecting a five million dollar AAV. I'm just I don't know. This is wrong. It's not a good move. I mean, look at him right now. He's not producing. Like it's just 
This has really derailed the entire episode. (laughs) Seven points in fifteen games. That's I mean they were it's streaky production because he's got like what one in the last nine. Um, I mean if he's gonna be a perennial forty point guy, then I guess four million isn't bad for that. But it's just you can't trust that that's what's going to happen. He's a guy who. I think fits into a specific role on the top line, but also would be way more at home on the third line. Um, that's the kind of production he puts up the kind of production that you kind of expect to get from the badly underpaid kids um, who are still on entry level and RFA deals. So I guess I just don't get like I don't think Justin Ablocator is more valuable than than Gustav Nyquist, and that's. And Nyquist didn't get seven-year term, so I don't know. Like, there obviously there's a big difference between four million dollars and five million and four point nine nine million dollars in cap hit. Um, but even at like the low end at four million, that is a scary term. It's mm-hmm. something that's uh, not even an obvious bargain for the first few years. And you can see a lot of the a lot of these long deals where guys get these kind of weird things. It's like, well, at least. It's a bargain for the first few years, and then it's uh, you know the last two or three years are are going to be he's going to be overpaid, and hopefully, and you know, you hope by then that they can at least they'll find a taker who's near the salary basement that kind of needs somebody that is basically overpaid in order to hit the floor. That's not what this what a contract that has even four million dollars on the nose for seven years with applicator. That's like really close to his max value. That's it's not a bargain and for a guy like that you kind of have to do the sorry kid it's a business you owe us a hometown discount and if that's what ken holland thinks is a hometown discount from Ablocator, uh that is terribly uh terribly wrong in my opinion yeah and you think like just when you think about it um that could very well go down as being a one of the uglier contracts in the league um I mean, I don't. I, I, I at this moment right now, it's worse than the Stephen Weiss deal. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously he's going to be more productive. Knock on wood, but I mean, he's not that good. I mean, I would be okay. Okay, you want to sign him for seven years? Sure. Then you go to him and say, "Hey, you want to be here for seven years? You're getting paid three million dollars a year. You're going mm-hmm. to get a Johan Franzen type contract, like where you are." Uh, you have an affordable cap hit. Like this is just oof. It's a lot to digest right now. Yeah, you basically, yeah, you basically, you sign him to what? Because you don't want to say it, but you have to pretty much assume that Franzen's going to be on long-term injury reserve for the rest of his career. I mean, I mean, the guy could barely make it a couple games into the year, and I don't even think he took a hit, and he had symptoms. So you could have, in theory, if you could get Abdulkader, if you're going to go seven years, which is insane. To me, that you go that long for a guy like Decatur, but whatever it is, what it is. Um, hopefully, Kenny's reading. He's like, oh, wait a minute, maybe seven years is not so good. Maybe we should take you know two off of that. Um, but you could have signed him to a deal that would essentially have replaced Franzen's hit, right? right. So basically, Franzen starts on the team every year, and then you send a couple kids down just for paper transactions, just to get you know max out your 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 cap, and then you throw Franzen on injured reserve. You know, wash your hands of it. Hey, Johan, you know, enjoy your money. Um, 
please stay healthy. Enjoy spending time with your family. Uh, watch the games. Be awesome on Instagram. Hey, Justin, you're Johan Franzen now. Except Johan Franzen at one point was good, like really good. I mean, we're talking Abdelkader has peaked at 44 points in 71 games. Mm-hmm. And we're going yeah, I mean, to pay this guy This is not a million. good contract. Yeah, this is if, if that if the that comes to fruition and and what they're reporting is um, is what it ends up being. That's not that's that's a bad contract. That's a bad move by Ken Holland. He it, he just he doesn't seem to know how to sign unrestricted free agents anymore. Like he he seems to still be in this world where you sign guys to a longer term deal in order to bring the number down when it's actually it should be the opposite you sh- you can sign a guy to a four year deal at 6 million per because a it's going to end sooner and b if you decide to move it that contract is actually going to be easier to move than a seven year deal is because if we get three years into this deal and Justin Abdicator is just not good anymore and is just not living up to what his cap hit is, nobody's going to take that contract off Detroit's hands. Whereas if he had one year left on it, maybe yeah. you get the potential that you can move him. You can't move term. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, if, 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 if you were if you, if you talking about a, um, if you were talking about a four-year deal, you can move that. Maybe the term is movable, but the the I mean I mean I'm sorry, the you know the money is movable, but the term, eh, man, it's rough. Um, Maybe what's going to happen is that they're going to backload the deal um, with the plan of getting negative cap recapture for him retiring later. I it's not possible, but maybe that's right. what they're thinking. Oh, I'm sorry, that's I'm just not. Yep, anyways, um, let's go on to something more fun. Let's talk about the prospects. Um, Michelle obviously doesn't know about it (laughs) right now, so she'll talk about the prospects and be happy and excited over it um, while we take a little break and uh, just say some swear words to each other. So, Michelle, please take it it away. Tell us about all the wonderful prospects in this system. The Griffins once again only played one game last week, and unfortunately, it was once again a loss. They fell Friday night to the Rockford Ice Hogs by a score of 4-1. to one. I was at this game live, which gave me the opportunity to get a little bit better perspective on what the team is doing right, what they're doing wrong, and just what's going on. The game started out pretty good, with Marty Furt tallying his third and team-leading goal just 2.44 into the first period. Unfortunately, about five minutes later, Rockford struck to even the score, and it would be all Rockford putting the puck in the back of the net the rest of the night. The Griffins outshot the Ice Hogs 41 to 22, and perhaps part of the problem with that stat that makes it a little bit deceiving is that 41% of those shots came from defensemen, and they weren't necessarily high scoring chances or really good shots. The other factor in that is that Michael Layton, who was in net for Rockford, did an outstanding job of seeing the puck tracking the puck and just making stops. And I also noticed that quite a few of the Griffin's shots went right into his chest or his glove. And that to me was completely indicative of a complete and utter lack of confidence on the Griffin's part. There wasn't the creativity, it was just a desperation to get pucks at the net. And if it happened to go right into the goalie's chest, well, it's a shot on goal, but it's not gonna go in. The longer the losing goes on for the team, the more difficult it gets for me to identify what things they're doing wrong and what things are causing the losing and how much of it is just this 
lack of confidence compounding on the players and making things worse. They're gripping their sticks tighter. It's for the most part, it's not a lack of effort or trying on their part. It just, at this point, it seems like no matter what they do, they can't win. No matter how many shots they fire at the other goalie, they're not going in. A couple of things that I noticed that they definitely need to improve on. Um, they did this better early in the game, was getting traffic to the net. And the more the game went on and the more desperate the team was, the more I noticed that they would try and have possession of the puck, but they did so much of passing it between the points and around the outside, and there would be nobody in the center, or they weren't getting shots off, or I think there were two or three times when a Griffin took the puck in, shot it on the net, and it was so close, and a rebound came out, and there was just nobody there from the Griffins to collect it and put it in the net. There was twice, it just sat there, and the only players that were there were Rockford players. They came in, took the puck, and set, started it back the other way. So there are still some things like that the team needs to work on. One of the biggest frustrations watching them that I kept coming back to is that they look so tentative, and they look so conservative, and so slow compared to what I'm used to seeing that it's frustrating. And there was just, there was this hesitation that they would have. They would have this hesitation, and Rockford would jump on loose pucks. If there were loose pucks, or even 50-50 battles, it seemed like Rockford came away with most of them. And we were playing catch up so much of the night just trying to get the puck. Our breakouts and zone entries were terrible. It just seemed like we could barely, late in the second period and through parts of the third, it felt like we couldn't even gain the offensive zone. Or when we did, we would just barely get in. Rockford would take the puck away and be back the other direction. We ended up giving too many pucks away too, and I felt like it was because the players felt rushed and they were in that desperation mode and they would end up giving the puck away and either it was a bad pass or didn't go exactly where they wanted to and Rockford was just right there to jump on it or they'd send it to nobody. Tomas Nosek was centering Martin Firk and Eric Tangrady and that line for most of the night was the most noticeable best line that got more of the scoring chances. I was expecting Athanasiu's line to get more ice time. He was playing with Anthony Mantha and Dan Cleary, with Tyler Bertuzzi serving the first game of his two-game suspension, but I felt like that line barely got any ice time, and I, and I think it must have to do with Cleary being on that line and Coach Nelson trying to limit his ice time and not overwhelm him with this ju just being his second game back. But that, to me, is a terrible, terrible decision to make when you take a line of Athanasiu and Mantha, who should be like two of the guys that are your go-to guys, and you put them with Cleary and then limit their ice time, it killed me. I did notice more bright spots or good things in this game than in some of the previous games, so I'm also a little bit encouraged. But I think the longer this losing goes on, the harder it is to snap out of it. As difficult and painful as it's been to watch the Griffins lose so many games and to see them sit with a 1-7-0 record and two points after eight games, there are some underlying statistics and numbers that when you take a look at, the Griffins are taking 35.6 shots per game, which is the highest in the league but they also have the lowest goals for in the league, sitting at a measly 11. And if you go to chlstats.com and look under the AHL tab, on the data that Josh Weisblock has compiled, the Griffins have the lowest PDO in the entire AHL. Now what PDO is, is it takes the shooting percentage and the save percentage for a team. And if it's right about 100, that's about average and you're probably sitting where you should be. A lower PDO means you have basically really crappy luck and a really high and a higher PDO means that you have better than average luck. The Griffins sit the bottom of the league with a PDO of 92.9. Their shooting percentage is 3.86, which is just astronomically low. 
But if you also look at the estimated Fenwick in close situations, the Griffins have the sixth best in the league at 53.2%. So looking at the underlying numbers, their performance isn't as bad as it's looked and isn't as bad as their record would indicate. They're still having pretty good puck possession in close situations. They have a terrible luck on incredibly unsustainably low shooting percentage, and something's got to change soon. At this point, the coaches and players have a huge task in front of them just to keep morale up, keep the players from getting too discouraged, and that compounding their problem. Thankfully, the part of their schedule where they're only playing one game a week or every 10 days seems to be over. For the rest of the month of November, they're going to be playing three games in four nights every week, playing on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday every week this month. My hope is that by getting in there and playing more games, they'll be able to get some momentum going and build off of it. Playing as infrequently as they have been isn't easy, especially when they're trying to do new things with the new coaches and new system. And then, of course, losing games, you have to sit around and wait for a week or a week and a half to play another game, and I know that's not easy. They're going to have a tougher playing schedule in front of them, but I think it's actually going to be good for them. There's always hope, it just gets hard to see sometimes. The growing concern at this point would be that the Griffins have themselves in such a deep hole that it's going to be really tough to dig out of. Only having two points through the first eight games of the season means that in order to put themselves in a good spot to make the playoffs, they're going to have to have an even better record through the rest of the season than they normally would have. So they're going to have to get hot and they're going to have to stay hot in order to make up the ground that they've lost so far. But it's not impossible. Their next game is going to be Wednesday night at home against the Iowa Wild. The Wild themselves have struggled a bit with a 3-7-1 record and 9 points. Hopefully this is a team that the Griffins can get going against and maybe take advantage of a little bit weaker team. Down in Toledo, the Walleye were 1-2 last week, picking up a shootout win over the Cincinnati Cyclones, then a 4-1 loss to the Fort Wayne Comets in which Zach Nastasiak picked up a penalty shot goal and Jake Patterson made 29 saves on 32 shots. They then got shut out 1-0 by the Adirondack Thunder. The Walleye are currently 4-4-0-1 with 9 points and sit second in their division and third in the Eastern Conference. Meanwhile, in other prospects news, on Sunday night, Billy Sardarvi ended a four-game point drought when he tallied a power play goal in Flint Firebirds' shootout win. That four-game point drought was the first time this season that he had gone more than a game without scoring at least one point. Billy Sardarvi has been one of the best defensemen in the OHL all season long, and last week he was named the OHL's best defenseman for the month of October. In October, he had nine assists, two goals, and 11 points in 11 games. He also had a plus-minus rating of plus nine, three multi-point games, including three assists against the Peterborough Peets on October 11th, and in the month of October, he was tied for lead league among defensemen in scoring with two goals, 14 assists, and 16 points in 14 games. Over in the QMJHL, center Evgeny Shvechnikov had himself a very big week last week. On Wednesday night, he tallied four assists. On Saturday night, he had a goal and an assist. And on Sunday night, he had three assists. That's nine points in three games last week for him. He now has 25 points in 17 games. And just to give a little bit of context on just how offensive the Q is, those 25 points in 17 games rank him at 25th in the league in scoring. He's also third on his team in scoring, but is first in power play goals on his team with five. Out west in the WHL, the Victoria Royals sit atop the Western Conference with a 14-5-0-1 record and 29 points in 20 games. Their captain, Joe Hicketts, has been a big part of their success this season. Last week, he registered five points in four games, and it was also announced that he would be captain of Team WHL for Game 2 of the upcoming CHL Canada-Russia series that's going to be in Kamloops. He's also been named as one of the three alternate captains for Game 1 of the series on November 9th in Kelowna. The Canada-Russia series is part of a tryout and training tournament for the World Juniors, and Hicketts also participated.
dominated last year. On the season, Hicketts now has 21 points, one goal, and 20 assists in 20 games. He's fifth in the Western Hockey League in assists among all players, fifth among all players for power play assists, second among Western Hockey League defensemen in points, and is second on the Royals in scoring. While the Portland Winterhawks are only 16 games into a 74-game season, they find themselves struggling right now and fighting for the second wildcard spot in the Western Conference with a 7-9-0-0 record. Dominic Turgeon still leads the way for that team, and he had three assists last week, and now has 17 points in 16 games. In college hockey news, defenseman James DeHaas was held pointless in both games this last weekend. It was the first time he'd gone more than a game this season without a point, and just the third game in eight this season that he hadn't registered at least one point. He has seven points in eight games, still leads all defensemen on his team in points, and is tied second overall on his team in points. For the Omaha Mavericks, winger David Pope registered his first point and assist nine games into the season. Across the pond in Europe, the regular season games are on hold as the players have a national break going on at the moment. However, there's both the Champions Hockey League tournament and the Four Nations tournament going on. The Four Nations tournament is basically a prep for World Juniors, and both Christopher N. and Axel Holmstrom have been named Team Sweden. They've both played three games in the Four Nations tournament, and in the second of three games, Axel Holmstrom had two goals and two assists. In the Champions Hockey League. Axel Holmstrom had an assist and one shot in Schleftia's 5-2 win. Julius Vatalo had nothing on the score sheet in a 4-3 win. And Christopher N. and Frolunda had a 2-1 win and N. had two shots on goal. All three of these players and their respective teams will continue into the next round of games for the CHL. Wrapping up, I want to leave you with a couple of really cool stories. When Evgeny Svechnikov signed his entry-level deal with the Red Wings back in October, he said there was never any question in his mind what he was going to do with his signing bonus. As soon as he got it, he sent it directly to his parents, Elena and Igor Svechnikov, back in Russia. He said they needed it more than he did because he has a good life here, much better than theirs. The article in the Chronicle Herald goes on to talk about how close he is with his family and his parents and just how much he appreciates everything they've done for him said his parents never had it easy. Uh, His dad delivered cakes for a living, and his mom was kind of a billet mother, taking care of several of the boys that were on Evgeny's team. They lived in a small apartment, there wasn't much room, and when he came to Cape Breton, he said the lifestyle was so much higher than in Russia. So when he got the money from his signing bonus, he sent it back to his parents to help make their lifestyle a little bit better, and to say thank you for everything they did for him. What an incredible story coming from such a young kid and to know that that's where his priorities are and there was never any question or hesitation. I love that about this kid. When asked what he would be doing if he wasn't a professional hockey player, defenseman Vili Sarajari smiled before saying that he would probably be a fireman because he would want to be able to do something where he was helping people. And that's what's going on in the world of Red Wings prospects. All right. Thank you so much, Michelle, as always, for your astute uh, analysis of the Red Wings prospect and uh, prospects and what is going on. Um, so everything is bad right now. <laughs> it, obviously, uh, we're kind of got hit with the, uh, a, a change up rate in the NADS, um, but we're just gonna we're gonna keep trucking along here. Um, we're gonna move to the reader questions, which, as always, we're going to uh, we're gonna have JJ uh, take those over. And uh, we're just going to answer your guys' questions, and uh, we'll try and be funny, but nothing is fun and everything is terrible right now. So, JJ, go ahead. All right, thanks <laughs> for the, the good lead in there. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> All right, I want to start us off right with our sizzle. Um, pretending the Red Wings keep AA up and have to make a roster move, and hypothetically gives us only two options. Would we rather lose Joachim Anderson on waivers or trade Thomas Yurko for a second-round pick? 
I would rather lose Yoki Anderson yep. waivers. It's Great. not even a question. Yep. Um, his second question from our sizzle. Uh, basically, Detroit is eight and seven and second in the Atlantic. Uh, what the hell's wrong with the Atlantic? I think we covered that earlier. What the hell's wrong with the NHL right now? Yeah, the Pacific just- is is significantly worse than the Atlantic, but we are in the second worst division in. Uh, as far as uh, records go, so I mean, this is uh, nothing new. The, the Atlantic has always been kind of a fart basket. Well, I mean, the thing about it is, the Atlantic really wasn't expected to be all that good anyway, right? I mean, I if you look at at the teams in there, Montreal's off to a just a really fast start. Um, Tampa has been extremely disappointing so far. Detroit's been, I guess, meh, but they haven't been bad. I think most people probably would have affected them around this record. Toronto's bad. They were supposed to be bad. Buffalo's not good. Um, they're supposed to be bad. Ottawa is... Ottawa really rode, like, insanely hot goaltending to a fluke playoff spot and then got the doors blown off them in the playoffs because they're not very good. And then you get Florida, who is still probably st- kind of a team on the rise. So I don't think that there's a big surprise that the Atlantic hasn't been good. It's just that a couple of the teams that were supposed to be better, i.e. Tampa and Detroit, have struggled out of the gate. So it makes it look even worse. Yeah, right on. Uh, the question that has been on all over hockey, and we haven't even touched on it, um, if we want to increase goal scoring, do we make the net bigger, reduce the size of the goalie pads and blockers? What do we do? Um, I say no to the net thing because that was Babcock's idea, and he's just a big whiny baby. Um, <laughs> so screw him. Uh, just rot in Toronto, please. Um, anyways, uh, no. What I think should be done is, sure, they can make goalie equipment smaller, but then what happens? Because when they... Evident- when they end up in the same position again are they just going to make equipment more smaller more smaller we're going to be back in the 70s again no i think what they should what teams should do is uh i don't know not sign bad players to seven-year contracts and play better younger players and make smarter decisions i i don't know i i think this is yeah i don't know i i I think it changes the size hmm? i think you could change the size of the nets by just a tiny little bit and nobody would know Right, I, mean, I, I, I don't think don't it's going to change anybody. anything. I think it'll make a difference. I think make the nets, um, just move everything out by like one and a half inches. Uh, that will essentially take, that will even out the fact that all goaltenders are freaking monsters nowadays. It'll make it a little bit harder for them. Um, like, because all the argument of the, the period, well, it'll it'll change the record books. Um, I hate to agree with whiny piss baby Mike Babcock, but it's true. I mean, the record books have been altered in the last 20 years and basically it's only goalies who are setting records now so make a change make everybody make every team start like going after only six foot nine goaltenders uh let's just make it into a monster league i i don't care make the net bigger it's time increase scoring um i don't care about lowering the the size of goalie pads because that's i don't know how really useful that is like how how small can you get them honestly like, can you get to where it's like literally the guy looks like he's a, a, a baseball catcher? I mean, oh, I like, guess. Like, yeah. 80 sti- like 80 style, like they used to be back then with like the tiny little pads. And I, they can't because it's a safety issue, right? I mean, they can't get too much smaller because no, then goalies yeah. will just be like, hey, we're getting hurt because we're getting all these pucks hitting us. And we're, you know, and guys, and like, I mean, not just goalies are getting bigger, the entire league is getting bigger and they're getting hit in the crease and stuff. And if you reduce the size and somebody gets hurt, they'll sue the NHL and. 
well, I guess that yeah, right, thing, I go back to the way it was. Technology has in, improved in padding, but there's only so much technological improvement you can get until you're like at the point where you're buying like weird futuristic body armor for goalies, and then essentially you can't. You have to change the game because kids can't afford shit like that, or the only kids who can afford shit like that, like they go on to play lacrosse and shit because they're spoiled shitheads. So, no, I don't fuck with the goalie equipment. Make the net bigger. Uh, somebody said make the, make the long change for all three periods. Uh, no, I'm a big fan of one of the worst changing teams of the last three years uh, as far as line changes go. Uh, just I'm a big no on making the long change more often. Yeah, yeah I don't no. know. It's, it's just I think that maybe it's easily, I mean, it's they can fix it if teams would just, I don't know, stop. Why are we talking about increasing scoring? Why don't we find a new way to prevent teams from tanking uh, and preventing teams from being bad? Like, why why not do that? I mean, I know well, not well, every. I know not they've started to do that really because they've changed the lottery rules. This right, year. but I mean, it's still. I mean, you still got teams like Edmonton who are just going to be who are terrible, and you've got. I don't know. It's just. I think there's just so many other ways, but I mean, if they change the size of the net, it is what it is. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference, really. Um, I, I go back. The one thing I go back to sometimes is that this is this whole notion is predicated on the idea that more scoring equals excitement, right? I, right, I don't more, necessarily more see more goals. I want to see more shots. I want to see more chances. I don't mind if goalies are putting up 930 safe percentages if they're being forced to make 30 plus saves a game because then at least i know it's the the records that they're setting are is based off of their play and not the defensive systems that coaches are employing but it's not going to matter because that's the way hockey is now hockey is who can stop the other team getting shots more put the that's blue what lines back where they were yeah that's what you gotta do yeah increase the size of the neutral zone decrease the size of the offensive zones and allow and call obstruction, not to get more power plays, but just to make it a more free game with more skating. Somebody made a suggestion, and I, I apologize, I have no idea who it was. It was just on, on Twitter briefly. The concept of make it so that you have to actually have control of the puck on the correct side of, of the center ice, um, or it's icing. Basically, if you had hammer it down to a guy two lines away and he just tips it in that's still icing he actually has to physically dump it in um for it not to be i think that uh, that would be an interesting consideration i'm not sure that it would like necessarily speed up the game it would probably slow it down by a couple minutes every single game just because there would be way more icing but i think that would help essentially make the neutral zone more important again like it was when the the blue lines were where they were or just move the blue lines like we already said yeah. All right, moving on, we got uh, Sprout42 has a few questions, which is wrong. He only asked two. Um, that would be a couple questions. A couple. Sprout, get your shit together, man. Uh, <laughs> how much more fun are Blashill quotes than Babcock quotes? Um, seven. <laughs> yeah, he seems like he's... I don't know. He's, I don't, I don't know. Uh, seems like he's having... He has a little bit more of a sense of humor about it, I guess. Like the, the quote last night about... Uh, Ovechkin, his arms need nice bags for his arms because he took so many shots. Babcock would never say yeah. he would say that, but it would be like I'm actually going to go set fire to the dressing room after this and burn everybody alive in it because we allowed that many shots. With Blash, it's like eh, it's cool. 
and then he'll go back and he'll, I'm sure he'll be very angry, but it'll be different. Yep. And then second question, how many and what kind of drugs is Blashell on? He says things that are encouraging and make me think he knows what he's doing, and then he plays a super crazy Glendening line matching game. Um, I, I mean, no, he, he's not on drugs. Um, I think what, he, he knows hockey. Like, he knows the game. He's smart. Um, it's just, give it some goddamn time, I guess. Like, the team is starting to get pulled together. Things are starting to trend in the correct way. Um, let's just, you know, he says trust the process. And at this point, that's all we can really do. He's new. Yeah. <laughs> this is new. So um, I think, you know, he'll, I think eventually he'll see that the usage is probably not going to be a sustainable way of going about things. So, yeah. All right, uh, Acadiani 6, I believe as it stands right now, the Blackhawks are not making the playoffs. Do you think there's a chance of this being the case at the end of the season? No. No. No, they make it. They'll make it. They're and they will, they will make a run for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're second from last season right now, but they're not that many points out, and they're about to get Duncan Keith back. Yeah, they will be fine. Although yeah. I do think it is interesting. Corey Crawford's pads now, he went all black. Usually a death sentence for goalies. Easier to score goals on black pads. Yeah, because you can see them easier, yep. so you know where to you know where to yep. shoot. That's why almost every goalie has white pads, <laughs> hey, or at least the NHL some white on just them. Make, NHL should just make all goalies wear black pads. There you go. Problem solved. That's What's actually up? not a bad idea. All you gotta just there paint them. Yep. Kyle just fixed hockey. There you go, everybody. Savior. Um, Case Denji wants to know what our decor looks like for the next six to eight weeks. Now that Quincy is out, do we give any of the younger guys a call up and see what they can do? Uh, no, I think it stays the same. I'd like much. to. I, I um, do, too. I it, Like, last year, it seemed like they would bring a lad up, then send him down, then bring, like, kind of aud- almost like auditions. I think Marchenko's played so that he's earned his spot, because, honestly, he's, he's playing above Smith or Kindle. So I think it's pretty clear that at this point he's earned his spot. Um, I think what you saw last night is probably what it's going to be, unless somebody else gets hurt. Yeah, I yeah. think so, too. Uh, I think Marchenko's here to stay for, you know, the duration of the injury. And... Uh, I do think that um, if anybody else is to be called up, uh, I want to see Jensen. Yeah, let's make it Jensen. Yeah, it's. Just, I don't think the Red Wings defense is going to stay healthy for the next six weeks. So yeah, that no, not at all. A chance. I don't think it's going to be like we're going to. Oh, let's play Jensen now because yeah, you have to essentially send Marchenko down to make that happen, and Marchenko is above both Smith and Kindle in on the depth chart so it doesn't make sense to send Marchenko down just to give Jensen like oh hey we just want to see him play a game no it's going to take an injury and the injury will probably happen uh bus number 13 wants to know when do we get to have some beers with you guys or vodka shots and talk hockey of course or is this against blogging rules uh it is definitely not against blogging rules no we like we like those things yes beer and vodka all very much where um yeah let's let's do it come to kansas and buy me beer that's Open invitation to anybody, um, although I'm not going to tell you exactly where in Kansas because I don't trust you criminals. <laughs> Come to Colorado for the uh, the stadium yeah. series. I'll be there. Um, we will be there. I'll be pretty noticeable. Um, wear a Magustav or a Turtle Tee or any of the, uh, the Hockey Stot shirt so that I recognize you immediately, and I might even buy you beer for that. So Boom. There you go. Um, I actually, it, I think... Might be doing something on the 11th of December in Chicago here. Details maybe, coming. Maybe I will come. That would be lovely. God, I, 
It's like a little stroke there in the middle of that word. <laughs> <laughs> I had my stroke when the uh, news came out about an applicator. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So tentative, but uh, we might try and put something together. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Jui Joho. Jui Joho. I just probably fucked that name up terribly. Uh, wants to know who's your pick for the number one in net. And then there was a pretty great conversation that essentially says we've already answered that both goalies are really good. Um and that it's a really good idea to keep the usage like this. So I just wanted to point out that we had a, a great conversation with people answering the questions for us before we had to get to it. Um, because, yeah, it's obvious. We don't have a number one. If we have to, like, pick one, yeah, right now it's Mrazek, but it, it just doesn't matter. That title of the who who is the true starter has no bearing on, on this season right now. Yeah. Um, um, both have been good, so whatever. Great user... Uh, this is a Twitter question. Shan Lee wants to know who wore it better and then posted a picture of Kyle with his mustache next to Glenn Denning. Uh, Kyle, I'm going to let you answer that first. Me. Mm-hmm. I look way All better. Right. I don't um, have as much harder grit, though. So, Well, here's the thing. So I saw the pictures, and after stopping laughing at Shannon, which just was awesome, um, Luke Glenn Denning has kind of that, like, um, Matthew McConaughey and Dazed and Confused thing going on with his mustache, whereas Kyle's got more of a, um, like, I'll come into work and just scream at you if you look at me the wrong way kind of <laughs> vibe going on with his. Yeah. Oh, man. I look like a police. I look like a super trooper. You look like you're like, hey, you want to go bowling later? <laughs> Say it just like that. Oh, man. And Luke Glendening looks like Tom Hardy, so... Um, oh, yeah. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to give the, the mustache advantage to Kyle, though. I will Thank say you. it. I appreciate that. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Kyle wore it better. Hell, yeah. I win. Another thing you lose at Glendening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. McDangle says he's got nothing except the opinion that the Red Wings have been playing great lately. They're looking more and more consistent. Maybe you would all like to discuss if that is true. Yes, we've done that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's see. That's a joke question about the picture I used, so I'm not even going to ask it. And Danik99 wants to know, some rumors have popped up here and there that Nelson is going more goon thug hit than skill approach with the Griffins. How true is this? Uh, last week's episode, Michelle covered that in pretty good detail, so I want to just use that opportunity to say, go listen to last week's episode. We're not going to answer it. Yeah. it's Yeah. I could talk about that for a while, but no. That is the last of the questions, so I'm going to hand wow, it back people. to Kyle. All right, well, do better next time. <laughs> Those were very good questions. Um, I'm just kidding. We love all of you. Thank you for participating, as always. Um, honestly, I'm sorry that this all happened uh, in the middle of our radio show um, with the news about Justin Applicator and his monstrous seven-year deal um, that we all hate, um, and it hasn't even been announced yet. Um so who knows what happens? Maybe it, maybe it changes. Uh, very good chance that it does. But as it stands right now, that is not a hometown discount, and that is a bad deal. There is no way to look at it at a, in a positive way. Um, okay, so let's talk about the week ahead real quick. We'll close things out um, and uh, hopefully move on to bigger and better things. Um, we have two more games this week. Uh, we're going to see San Jose on Friday, and then we see Boston. Uh, when's Boston? Is that Sunday or is that Saturday? Saturday. Saturday. Okay, so they got a back-to-back. Woo! Um, yeah, and then, I had one of those in a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, God, yeah. Um, and then we'll see Ottawa on Monday. Um, so 
let's uh, who, let's. What do we think about uh, how many games should we win? Um, obviously, San Jose, um, not good, but not as bad as last year. Um, Boston, they're not good. I don't care what people say. I don't care what analytics say. The team isn't good. Um, and Ottawa, they're not good either. So they're the Red should, in theory, win three of these games. Like they, this should be all three one, but. Um, who knows what happens? Uh, so, JJ, what about what do you think? I think uh, San Jose no longer has our number because they no longer have the coach that has our number. They are missing Logan Couture, but they still have Joe Thornton, who is a wings killer. Uh, I think that is a tighter game than it should be, uh, but I think we pull that out. I wish I were more confident in Boston, but that's the second night of back-to-back, and Boston will be coming in rested. They play their right. previous game on Thursday uh, at home against Colorado, so they're going to be rested and coming off kind of a, a soft game anyway because Colorado sucks. So that's going to be real tough. I think we lose that on like some awful refing because why the hell not? And then uh, Ottawa, I think we take it out on them again and just have another like we're just going to score a million goals against Ottawa this season. All right, I like it. So uh, two and one, that's good. I'd take yeah. that sure. Uh, hope and obviously let's. I would rather we lose to San Jose and then beat Boston and Ottawa because division. Um, Actually, I, I actually I want to win all three games, and I think we will. Oh yes, we will because San Jose doesn't have Logan Couture, and they don't have Anthony Emmy anymore, who always was great against the Red Wings when he was in San Jose. I think. Uh, yeah, it's- they're differently coached now. Uh, DeBoer is not a bad coach, but um, he's not as good as McClellan. Uh, and uh, Ottawa is just a, a, a and then Boston. Um, who knows what the hell they're doing right now? Seems like. You know, they're good one game, they're bad another for a stretch of five or six games. Um, so, whatever. Just take it to them. Their defense is awful. Um, and then Ottawa, let's, uh, let's, let's take it to them. Let's score six, and uh, let's, let's get six points out of this, these, these three games. Graham, you? Um, I think they're going to go, I think it's going to be 2-0, and I, I kind of agree with JJ. They're going to be San Jose. They're, San Jose is no longer that scary team that seemed to have the wings number that's over they suck now um they're gonna lose in a shootout to boston oh um they're gonna they're gonna find a way to get it through regulation and somehow they're not nobody's gonna score in overtime and they're gonna lose in a shootout and then um i agree they're gonna then get kind of get back on track against Ottawa because Ottawa's hot garbage. So two zero and one, five out of six points, which would be just a good. That's a good week, I think. All right, I like it. Um, surprisingly positive way to close out a rather dismal hour that we've had. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, whatever happens with this advocator contract, um, it is what it is. It sucks, um, and uh, let's just uh, I don't know. Let's uh, keep the faith. And we'll deal with it later. Uh, so, sorry for this uh, kind of throw a dark cloud over the over the show, folks. But it is what it is. Um, as always, it was a little bit later this week. Uh, our radio show just had uh, scheduling problems, but um, we will see you and uh, talk to you next week, hopefully on Monday. But if not, you'll still definitely hear from us. So, until next time, uh, this is Winging at Motown Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Winging it. Winging it. I'm winging it.